My name is Bodhi Asimoto. Welcome back to the Green Black. Uh, today we'll be discussing Hawaii's historic first game in Manoa versus the Portland State Vikings. It's over. Hawaii's first game in Manoa. They went through. They got a 49-35 victory. Uh, Reese, let's start with you. What are your just opening general thoughts on the first game? Um, well, there was a lot more scoring than I thought it would be. I, I, I know both offenses are known for their ability to score, but when it was 28 nothing in the first quarter, I, I honestly thought it was going to be a blowout. It, it looked like it was going to be like, a, oh, we're going to see the second stringers in the second half sort of thing. And then Hawaii almost coughed up the leads in that. And I think the over-under was like 56 points, and it ended up being 84. So I definitely wasn't expecting a high-scoring game. Yeah, you know, same. Uh, in our season preview, I, pre- I predicted a 35 nothing shutout. Boy, was I wrong. I think you expected a little bit more of a closer game. But, yeah, no, neither of us really expected this high scoring of a game. I think a big contributing factor to that was Hawaii's kind of second-half meltdown. And, I mean, Coach Graham explained it perfectly in the press game interview. They got sloppy in the second half. If you take the first half and the second half, the first half, Hawaii won 28-7. to So if you take the second half, uh, Portland State actually beat Hawaii 28-14. to Yeah, definitely. That was something, that was like the main focus of the postgame was that Todd Graham described his second half for his team as, as sloppy it was. They gave up, I think, about 325 yards of offense in the second half, and not only that, they had to use all three of their second-half timeouts by the 12-minute mark of the fourth. So communication was kind of off, too. So we'll definitely that's definitely something they need to work on. Yeah, you know, that timeout thing, uh, Coach Graham went into it in his press-game interview. I mean, his post-game interview. He said there was a little bit of miscommunication with his D-line coach there on that goal-line stand where they used two uh, timeouts in the span of, like, a really short amount of time. Yeah, and, you know, it actually ended up not bailing him out because Dijuan Matthews, he had that fumble, he had that forced fumble on Alexander at the goal line. So they ended up getting the ball back, but I don't, it was a good thing they were leading. Like, if they, if it was, if it was a close game, I don't think those two timeouts were, I don't think the forced fumble makes up those two timeouts. Yeah, that's been a big storyline. That's what the game was, essentially. Portland State won the second half, but ultimately that big lead gave Hawaii the win. Since we were there in person, you know, for the first time at a game at T.C. Ching, what were your thoughts of the new retrofitted stadium? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. For, for something that was built in, like, four months or 141 days, it was really, it was really good. I mean, I don't know about you, but for... It looked in the press box is a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. I didn't, granted, I didn't really have the best seat in there, but it was pretty well equipped. Um, you were you were actually in the box for most for the entire game. So, how was it in there? I heard the glare was not great. I heard in the beginning. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I I should have brought a jacket. I didn't think the AC was going to be that strong in there, just because it was built so quickly. But yeah, I mean, honestly, it was a really good box. The seats were relatively comfortable and the the angle i heard from um, the other beat writers that was sitting to my left that had way more experience than us 
And I heard that the angle was a lot better because they're a little bit closer to the field now. So it was a lot uh, – it's just way easier for us to see what was happening on the field. Plus, we had TVs on full sides with the broadcast so we could see replays. It was overall just a great experience. Yeah, definitely. And field level was just about the same. It was, it was fun to get that close up to the action. Uh, got a lot of great shots from there. And it was great. I kept reading about the one thing, though, is that I kept reading about how it looked like high school or Division three stadium on TV. And when you, it kind of does on the bleachers on the press box side, those those first six or seven rows in the lower level are kind of low. So the views, it's not terrible, but it was somewhat obstructed by the Hawaii bench. It's other than that, it was a pretty decent view. I mean, yeah, we talked about that when we were in the press box waiting for the game to start. That end zone um, on the campus side, the seats are so close. We actually watched a punt sail into the sands. It's a little bit unprotected. That was the one main concern that we had. Yeah, I don't know. If that, is that supposed to be like where the student section or the band is? Because that, that's kind of, it was kind of a questionable area. They actually told the photographers the day before the game that you can't be in the first five rows over there. And then right before the game, they was like, don't go over there and, at all. So, it was, yeah, like you said, we were watching special teams warming up and then they sent the, the one of the punters sent the ball like five or six rows deep. So, but yeah, and then I guess that too, it's not, I guess it's not great either if you're the visiting team because your locker room is actually in the lobby of us Murakami Stadium. So, oh, is that where the locker rooms were? I had I was trying to figure out Zara like where are the visiting locker rooms? Yeah, so it's actually I think it they said it was like in the lobby of of the Lex and you know, I for something that was built in four months, yeah, that that's I guess you cannot can't build a locker room that quickly. But other than that, it was really nice. Um it's definitely gonna be great to have fans in there for sure. No, no, I'm, I saw a little bit of those on Twitter because I was tweeting the game off the Kaleo Twitter account. But uh, what did you think of those sparklers? Oh, it was definitely different. I mean, I I don't know why it why it felt like it was kind of like a high school thing almost. I mean, from looking on Twitter, I think some people thought it was a little tacky. Plus, like, I mean, if you're going to have it in the stands, I, I guess it's fine for now, but once you get fans back in, you just can't have him in the stands for safety issues. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I don't know where they're going to put it after, but definitely. So, you know, our first game was a nice win. But uh, let's get into the nitty-gritty of the game. Uh, let's go through the, all three phases of the game and uh, see what went good and what maybe didn't go so good. So, Reese, if you can get us started with the offense. Yeah, so I think we I think we need to talk about how how much the running game improved. Um, mentioned in your article that hasn't been published yet. Uh, you know they had 268 yards on the ground, four touchdowns. Uh, Day Day Hunter had like eight yards per carry, and uh, Dedrick Parson he had a lot of success in the red zone, two touchdowns. So, and I know it's against an FCS team that's not really known for their defense, but. It's a big step up compared to last week. And um, some of the negatives, I guess, is that it seemed like while majority of Shevin Cordero's throws were on target, the drops were still there. That was something we saw against UCLA. And 
most of the drops were from Calvin Turner, but that's something we'll discuss later on. Um, the, his interception was on a pass that actually went through um, Aaron Cephas's hands, and that wasn't really great. And, you know, Cordero said his offense was good Saturday night, but I still saw that pocket collapse in pass protection too many times, especially at the tackles. And while he does have the ability to escape the pocket, that's not really a long-term solution to everything. Yeah, you talk about the sacks. So actually, Davis Alexander and Chevin Cordero had a pretty, like, relatively similar stat line. Davis Alexander had, like, a little bit more passing yards, but you look at the TD to interception, three touchdowns to uh, two interceptions for Alexander, three touchdowns, one interception for Cordero. But the one thing that's really, really different, Alexander got sacked two times. Cordero, double that. He got sacked four. That pocket is was a problem against a really, really interesting FCS team. Because as we were um as the game was going on for the press box, I was trying to find out I had all my players circled on my sheet. I was trying to find Noah Yunker, the top sack artist, who honestly didn't have that big an impact on the game. So it's surprising to see that Cordero still got sacked four times. Yeah, for sure. And then I think we also need to talk about. Todd Graham spoke about this. This was like he he emphasized how much how important ball security is. I mean, there were too many miscues in that Hawaii offense. Um, but like Cordero, yeah, the interception wasn't really his fault. It was on a tip pass, and but he fumbled the ball on his own read near the goal line, I think, in the second quarter, and that was sort of a problem because they had a they had another ball on the ground on another zone read in the late second quarter, and you know Todd Graham really emphasized that. Like he thought his team should have scored 30 more points than they did. You know, another thing that adds to that, um, in the same post-game pro- uh, press conference, he said that in the locker room, they're all talking about how they want to substitute and everything. They, it's obvious that they thought they had the game in the bag, and they got complacent. That's what happens. That's why they only scored a good 14 points in the uh, second half alone. Yeah, definitely. And uh... – you know, there wasn't that much passing from Cordero, actually. I think he he already reached, like, 200, over 200 yards in that first half, right? And seeing as how we finished with 305, still a decent stat line. But, yeah, you know, they got they got to keep the foot on the gas. They cannot get off. They cannot let off on it. All right, moving on from the offense. Let's go to the defensive side of things. Uh, you know, we saw them hold down the Portland State Viking offense. So only seven points in the first half. But then after that, they just let up and they allowed another 28 points in the second half. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for sure, like the tackling for Hawaii, it looked a lot better than it was against UCLA. Actually, something we need to talk about is um, Darius Mugusel. He he had that right hand of his wrapped really well on Sunday. So I don't know if that hindered his performance or not. But he actually had a couple missed tackles because it just seemed like he couldn't get his arms wrapped around the opposing players. I mean, he had some really good reads on plays, and he missed a couple tackles. I think he only ended up with, like, two tackles in the entire game. Yeah, I didn't see it until uh, I saw the replay of the game. Yeah, I didn't realize Moussao had that club on his hand. That It must have hindered that defensive performance. Another thing that didn't help was uh, Cameron Lockridge got thrown out of the game on a late targeting penalty. And 
you know, again, we keep referencing Todd Graham's post-game pro- press conference. He said they got really sloppy, especially with that targeting hit. Yeah, definitely. And if, you know, that targeting call on Lockridge, you know, everybody, it was like, it was kind of a questionable call. It didn't really look bad on when watching it back on the slow-mo replays, but I was, I was actually over there when that took place. And it was, it was actually kind of a hard hit. I, I don't know if that was a factor, but it wasn't an atrocious call. And um, like you said, they got sloppy. That targeting call on Lockridge, it probably shouldn't have happened because the receiver got on that play the receiver actually leaked out on like a drag route and it was a blown coverage play. And that was sort of the emphasis on Todd Graham as well. He said, he, he, you know, he said Davis Alexander was like a savvy player and his ability to improvise exposed their secondary on deep plays, broken plays. And, you know, that's something that's, that they need to, that also has to be worked on is can they, keep up on these broken plays because, you know, Lockridge, he's a starter, right? So that he's out for the first half of Oregon State, I think. I don't, I don't know if they're going to appeal or not, but, yeah, that, that's a huge um, mistake. Yeah, you know, we've been dogging on this team a ton, and we sound super negative for a win. But, I mean, yeah, that second half, they just collapsed. Although we did have one decent thing in the first half, I mean, we got a big man interception. Peter Tonga, the defensive lineman, picked off Davis Alexander. Uh, close in the red zone, I think. Yeah, I think it was. It was He got it to the 20 or something because they scored in, like, the next two plays on, a, I think, Jared Smart touchdown. And, yeah, I mean, props to that defense. It's great to see that the D lineman was leading the team in tackles. It was uh, justice to buy with six. And, you know, that D-line looks strong. I, I, I think, you know, Todd Graham said it. He ha- they got the makings of a really great football team. And, you know, I have to agree with him on that. They, they, looked, they had their moments on Saturday. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing I love about the post-game press conference is that the players just get to go out there and be themselves and just talk to the press. Shevard Cordero said that in the locker room that they were all joking that, uh, Peter Tonga has the best hands of the defensive linemen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's good to see they're having fun. I mean, that that's kind of what the game's about, right? So, yeah, definitely. It's it's great. All right. Now, one thing we have to talk about because it was so bad. This wasn't even a halftime thing. This wasn't even a second half thing. The special teams, it was not great today. It, it wasn't. It really wasn't. I mean... The main issue was the muffs, you know, the misjudgment on the kick return by Turner was probably the biggest one, seeing as how it ended up with a touchdown and it cut the lead, their lead to two possessions. Uh, I think we also have to talk about the onside kick, you know, I don't know why um, Corey Bethley didn't let it roll to the receiver in the back. You know, that was something Coach Graham talked about too. He wanted, they need to trust the scheme on special teams. They looked like they had the right personnel, that's why. On that onside kick because they were collapsing in the second half. I don't know if you saw a breakdown in trust or something, but yeah, it just, it wasn't there. It kind of reminded me of um, the Seahawks uh, Green Bay game back in the day for the, AS, uh, for the NFC championship. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was like Bostic, the tight end over Jordy Nelson. I was like, that was, and, and I ended up collapsing. So, but yeah, I think for something we have, speaking of, you know, we talked about the muffs. Most of those were with 
Calvin Turner. And I think we need to talk about his performance because he definitely had, I don't know if he had a case of the yips, but he had a lot, he had a couple of key drops. There, there was one on, I think in the first quarter on like a post route, he was wide, he was pretty open. It would have been a good 20 yards. And then another one in the second quarter, he, in the early quarter, second quarter, he dropped one on like a deep slant and Cordero put the throw on the money. And I think it probably would have been six had he caught that. You know, with Turner's struggles in this game, it brings up a clip. It brings up a question. Who's on this team is going to step up because you have Cordero, but he can't do everything by himself. Turner was the focus of the offense last season, but with him struggling now, who's it going to be? I saw they put Dior Scott out there at um, punt uh, at returner for both punts and kicks at times. I thought Dior Scott looked all right, but you know, you need Calvin Turner to be that uh, Bo Jackson s guy for Hawaii, especially with that one reverse touchdown that he had early in the first quarter. It looked really nice, but after that, every everything kind of just petered out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think we also need we we definitely need to talk about, you know, how how he had his moments just on Saturday. I mean, what he had like 130 yards all purpose, and that that one play you're talking about where he reversed the field on the RPO, and he turned what would probably would have been a loss into a touchdown. It was an incredible display of his ability to be explosive and athletic, and it looked amazing on the field to watch. Like. To, to see him reverse field and like shed tackles and use that speed, it was it was incredible. You know, with all Calvin Turner struggles and everything, they need a clear cut guy because you have Jared Smart, who's a number one receiver, but and you have guys who are going to play. You know, Dede Hunter and uh, Dedrick Parson both emerge as really good running backs, but you need that you need Calvin Turner to play that kind of in-between role where he can go into the backfield, he can play quarterback, he can play whatever you need him to play. And I think without that, the, this Hawaii team might be a little lost. Yeah, you talked about that. And then, you know, I think we need to talk about, because, you know, Day Hunter had a big game. He had like, what, 120 yards or something on the ground. And so he he had a really good game. You know, they got, um, what do you call it? They got True Edwards in, the, the junior college transfer. You know, they got a lot of great pieces. And Dedrick Parson was also another one we have to talk about. That was really good. And, you know, they have everything. So they have the pieces. It's just can they execute? All right. Speaking of execution, let's get to some other CFE topics. Because I don't know if you saw that Brian Kelly joke. I was just poorly executed. Yeah, for sure. That was that was not... You know, that's not really a great attempt at trying to be funny, but I'm not going to lie. His team, like, nearly collapsed. On I mean, it was good to see Mackenzie Milton out there playing for FSU. Go Hoy. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he got he, – he went in because the other quarterback's helmet came off, so he had to go out for one play, and then he ended up – what the first play was like a 22-yard like a pass that was – it was a dime, and then, it was, and then he ended up playing the rest of the game, so – I think it's. I think that's kind of crazy that Florida's, that Florida State's, you know, their momentum shifted as soon as he went in the game. So if he starts in the next game, who knows? You know, we've talked about some Hawaii, or we've talked about Mackenzie Mill now. 
Let's get into some other games around the league, specifically in the Mountain West Conference, because we saw some really interesting games. Like, um, one I really want to bring up is Fresno State facing number 11, Oregon. At first, it was the first quarter was 14 nothing, And you're like, well, you know, it's number 11, Oregon. They're going to blow out the Bulldogs. But Jake Hayner brought his team back. And it ended in a really close 31-24 uh, game. Of course, the Bulldogs lost. But it was only by a seven-point margin, one-score game. I think Fresno State has the makings of a really good team if they can keep it that close against a number 11 Oregon team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you talk about Fresno State, that, that whole West division in the Mountain West, it, it's really, it's going to be a really fun thing to watch this year. It's going to be tight between whether it's, you know, Fresno State's like the dark horse to win the division. You've got San Diego State is always up there. San Jose, San Jose State, they lost to USC, but they still have a really good team. And then, you know, Nevada upset Cal as well. That was one of the bigger upsets this weekend. And, you know, Carson Strong had like over 300 yards passing. And that defense where Nevada gets in check, they're, they're going to be really dangerous too. You know, as a really big draft guy myself, I love watching that Nevada team, especially with Carson Strong's arm. But more importantly, I like Romeo Dubes, the wide receiver. Which is, it looks amazing whenever he catches the ball. He's the quintessential wide receiver to me. And that Nevada offense is just scary down the road after upsetting a California team. Yeah, definitely. They are, he, like, Dubs is such a big, he's such a big deep ball threat. He's probably going to be drafted in this year's NFL draft and stuff. You know, Eastern Washington over UNLV, South Dakota State over Colorado State. And then, you know, we have to talk about, you know, Utah State. They won. They upset Washington State. And they ended up making, probably making Nick Rolovich's seat even hotter. So a lot of great things to see. And it's definitely going to be interesting this season. You know, I think you're, I think you're uh, underplaying Nick Rolovich's seat. I think it's just on fire at this point. Because, sure, Utah State may have made a turnaround. But they were still really bad last season. They have a new head coach in his first year, and you lose 26-23 as a Pac-12 team to Utah State. That is a terrible look for Nick Rolovich. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a credit to Utah State. I mean, the fact that they came back to win this game was incredible. But, yeah, I mean, his, the seat in Pullman is definitely going to like on fire. I will say one thing I was talking to the guys in the press box about, that is a weird score. So the first quarter they had a field goal for three points. And then the only point scored by Utah State in the second quarter was a safety. It ended up being a really, really odd score. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is um, UNLV is still who we thought they were. They lost. Uh, 35-33 to Eastern Washington in FCS game, in FCS team in double overtime. This team, the turnaround isn't looking to be too quick. So, you know, hopefully Hawaii has an easy game down the road. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they actually came back. So it was it was a double overtime loss, and they, I think they only lost because they couldn't get the two point conversion right. That's part of the new rules in the overtime package this season. So. 
you know, they might have some great things to look out for. And, you know, it is, like I said, it is week one. And a lot of these teams we're talking about, Hawaii's not going to play them until down the stretch in like October and November. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. Now, bookending this bit with um, another Hawaii-born quarterback, another guy from Milani, I believe, Dylan Gabriel from UCF. Uh, you know, it looked scary in the first half against Boise State. But, you know, they ended up pulling the comeback off, uh, fishing 36 to 31, you know, defeating Boise State. Yeah, I mean, it looked, I mean they looked like they were going to be rolling. And then, you know, he threw the pick six on their first drive. And, you know, he, they ended up coming back. And I, I was watching part of the game. I actually didn't get to see the end of it, which is kind of, which was kind of disappointing. But, you know. Is he going to be okay? I didn't really, because I left, I stopped watching right around the time he got hurt on that two-point conversion. I mean, yeah, that game ends in spectacular fashion with UCF pulling off the comeback. Um, now going to Mountain West standings, I mean, you know, it's not too great for Hawaii. They find themselves at fourth in the West Division. Uh, you got some really interesting division, uh, yeah, division leaders this season. Uh, I know it's still early in the season, and most teams have played one game, two max. But, yeah, you see San Diego State on top in the West, and then you got Air Force on top in the Mountain Division, which is just crazy to see. Yeah, definitely. That That's, you know, they still – you can't – you always have to keep those military schools, you know, in check cause, because, you know, they, they're so up and down, like especially with, like, Navy and stuff. Like Air Force, like Army is starting to get more stable. And, you know, Air Force is always like that dark horse to win the division. And they, they're so consistent. Um, they're not consistent, but, you know, I guess they're consistent in the triple option offense, you know, that it's, it's always hard to stop. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Navy misses Malcolm Perry right about now. All right, moving on. Uh, looking forward now. Hawaii plays Oregon State, who comes off a 31-20 to 20 loss to Purdue. Uh, you know, we've talked about them earlier in the season, especially in our uh, preview episode. Uh, Chance Nolan came out as the main quarterback for the Beavers, but it's still an open competition with um, Chance Nolan splitting some time at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't even know who's going to be starting at quarterback for Oregon State on Saturday, whether it's, you know, Chance Nolan or uh, Tristan Jambia comes back from his injury. But I think it's probably not going to be Sam Moyer because he actually he struggled on, against Purdue on Saturday. Like everybody was saying, I they think Nolan, if Nolan stays, plays the whole four quarters, all four quarters, Oregon State probably wins. And, you know, while I think, Hawaii's chances are better than they are, they were originally. I think I still got to stand by my preseason prediction with this one. Like the the Beavers' pass rush, pass rush is supposed to be like super aggressive, and against this offense offensive line for Hawaii, it it might mean that there's not that many passes leaving the pocket as they should be. You know, we also have, I think we have to talk about also the. The, the mainland national TV game effect for Hawaii. They're, they're 4-15, and 15, I think, in national TV games outside of Hawaii in the last five years. And they're, they're actually 0-2 against Oregon State on the road in program history. So, yeah, I, I still think Oregon State has 
um, the advantage over Hawaii. You know, I'm going to have to agree with you on this one. Uh, after looking that way against a D2 FCS team, I'm not sure the turnaround is going to be so quick. And, you know, against a Pac-12 team, yeah, sure, they may have a quarterback controversy right now. But I think Chance Nolan is steady enough to be the Beavers' quarterback at least next week. And, I mean, both their TDs, I mean, all three of their touchdowns came off of rushing from V.J. Baylor and uh, one from their receiver who played, who had a rush. But, yeah, I think because uh, the Beavers were able to get in that red zone t- rushing touchdown, I, I'm not sure Hawaii's defense is going to be able to hold them, especially with Cameron Lockridge being out. We may see a little bit more passing from the Beavers, but it's going to be a tough assignment for Cortez Davis. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, they, they said the running attack was not great against for Oregon State. And, you know, that was something that they need to improve. And, you know, against this Hawaii, we talked about the running defense against UCLA. I know Oregon State is not at this level that UCLA is, but, you know, they have a chance to pound, pound the ball. I mean, that that's probably one of the, you know, one of those keys of, that Hawaii needs to do to win is stop the run. Yeah, you know, it's going to be an interesting, interesting, you know, uh, their top receiver, Trayvon Bradford, he's going to be a guy I'm going to watch. He had five receptions, 75 yards, along a 21. They didn't have any passing touchdowns. So I think ultimately it comes down to Moussao Laulu and Dewan Matthews and all those guys up front to really shut down the Beavers running game in order to win this game. Yeah, I mean, you know, for Hawaii to win on Saturday, there, there's a lot of things they keys they need to do. I mean, the main one is they got to be better with their fundamentals. I mean, you know, ball security has to be a key. There were too many muffs on the special teams plays. The zone read handoffs were not great, and it ended up almost costing them. I mean, Portland State had 21 points off of turnovers on Saturday, so you know, that's probably something that's going to be worked on at practice. And then you got to talk about communication. I mean, you said he talked about his D-line coach. They, he gave it the wrong personnel on the one-inch line, and they ended up burning two timeouts to get it right. And, it, you know, I talked about how it worked out with Tijuan Matthews forcing the fumble at the goal line. But in, in, in a closer game, those two timeouts are key. Um, they're key. Yeah, those two timeouts are key. And their game clock management – you know, it just everything has to come down to communication and it, it has to be better for this team. I'm honestly so scared going into this week. I don't want to have to write about another loss. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I think also time of possession. I mean, obviously, if you keep the other team's offense from taking the field, your, your chances of winning are going to go up. But if you keep that Oregon State offense off the field as much as possible, you have the chance to tire that Beavers defense and be that explosive offense that Hawaii wants to be. So, yeah, there, there's a lot that they need to do to win this game on Saturday. I mean, going into this week, I mean, do you have just any final thoughts on this? Um, I mean, just 
keep pounding. I mean, you can't keep your foot off. You can't keep your can't take your foot off the gas pedal. We saw that. We saw them try. We saw them pretty much do that in on Saturday, and especially and if you can't do that against if you're doing that against an FCS team, it's gonna be tough against you know the top teams in the Mountain West. You know, you got a Pac-12 opponent this week, so yeah, it's 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 got to be about fundamentals, I think. For me, it's more about, I think everything revolves around Calvin Turner right now. Sure, it's bad to have that one, the guy offense, but this Hawaii team, Cordero's, I, I thought Cordero tried his best. That interception was not on him. And Cordero, to me, looked good for the most part. And I think he just has to have a better sur uh, surrounding cast. Yeah, and he looked good. I mean, we, we, we talked about Jared Smart. I mean, Wagner actually led the team with, like, 97 yards receiving, I think. And, you know, Cordero's throws were – a lot of them were on the, on the, on the money. And then that talked about that interception. That, that was something that can't happen because, you know, it's not his fault. I mean, the receiver had to, had to catch that. It wasn't an outrageously throw, bad, badly thrown ball as well. So, yeah, I mean – are the pieces going to be working around Cordero on Saturday? That's probably a question too. All right. Now for the final bit, because we're going to keep this running, give me a song that summarizes this game. Oh, man. Um, well, first off, to sum up the game, I mean, Hawaii started out strong, but pretty, pretty much collapsed in the second half. And I don't know if there are any songs about that, but I guess I'll go with um, – <laughs> about to get crazy by Odo Larsny because in at the end of the third, things really did get crazy. <laughs> I really like that song choice, man. That that summarizes it perfectly. Uh, for me, on my end, I went with Up, Up, and Away by Juice World because in the first half, you see Up, Up because they're going up 28-7 and then they almost threw the game away. It was scary to watch. I was nervous, so nervous in the fourth quarter. I thought they were about to lose to an FCS team. They built up a strong lead, and, and they almost threw it all away. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, that that's something that that's, you know, it's a good learning point, I guess. And that's something you can take away from this game is that you can't, you can't, like Yogi Berra said it best, right? Like, it ain't over till it's over, so. That, that's something they can take away from Saturday. Anyway, I guess we'll look forward to Oregon State. We'll be at the game. We'll be at their next home game in two weeks. And from myself, Bodie Asimoto, my editor, Reese, uh, thank you for listening to The Green and Black, and we'll see you next week.